Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Straight Out Left. It is a beautiful Thursday evening. We've got a lot of MLB news to get to. From legendary pitching down in South Miami to a wildly successful team in Baltimore to a team in Toronto that unexpectedly canned their manager. So we've got a lot to get to. Uh, let's hop right into it and stick around. It's going to be a good episode tonight. All right. Uh, hey everybody, once again, welcome um, sorry about the uh, not uploading on uh, what was that a Tuesday night. I um, we actually had a blackout here and I didn't have Wi-Fi, so I wasn't able to. Uh, I had audio sort of prepared, but then the Wi-Fi cut out in the middle of it, so I wasn't able to upload all of it. And then by the time we got the power back, which was during the middle of the night, so I already went to bed. I wasn't. I didn't feel like putting this up because it was. Um, the information that I was giving was probably going to get a little dated. So just to keep things current, I just didn't do the episode, so I'm just doing it tonight. Um, first piece of uh, news, tonight's just going to be kind of a pretty casual episode. I'm just going to be talking about a few current uh, news items in the MLB, as well as just kind of looking at the standings. We're about, every team's played almost 90 games at this point, so we're a little bit over halfway. So now is a good time to really look at the standings and just kind of see, okay, who's hang into the trade deadline and the all-star break, like who's going to still be it, who's still in this, who's still got, got their eyes on a playoff spot and who's kind of done and what the teams that are still in it need to do to try to figure things out. Anyway, I wanted to start with um, talking about uh, a pitcher who's been just so fun to watch this year. And that's uh, Sandy Alcantara from Miami. If you haven't been really paying attention recently, Sandy Al- Alcantara has been putting together an amazing season. He uh, he has a 1.73 ERA on the season, and the biggest thing is that he's going very deep into games. His recent stretch stretch has been absolutely incredible. So he had a good, a decent first six starts of the year. Um, he had a 3.03 ERA through that. Had a couple clunkers in there, but some gems, but uh, wasn't going especially deep into games. However, in his next 12 starts, so his past 12 starts, starting on May 11th with the uh, and out against the Diamondbacks, he's gone at least seven innings in all of his starts, and in that span, he has an ERA of 1.24, which is incredible. So in the 12 start span, he has 94 and two-thirds innings, which is almost eight per start, eight innings per start which we never see in today's MLB. The last time that a pitcher had more innings in a span of 12 starts was back in um, 2015. Uh, Clayton Kershaw in a span from uh, July, middle of July to middle of September of that year, he pitched 95 innings in 12 starts. So so two thirds or one third of an inning more than, uh, than Alcantara has. And Kershaw's area of 1.61 was a little higher than Alcantara's. So Alcantara's been as dominant as prime clean Kershaw. Um, the thing is, he's not really doing it with the strikeouts. I mean, his strikeout rate in the span is about 7.5 per nine, which is not um, elite by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just been so good at getting soft contact. He has a 248 slugging against. So... 
He's given up a few, not a lot of hits, and when he does give up hits, it's mostly singles. He's not walking a lot of guys, and yeah, um, just not getting, uh, allowing too many base runners. His whip in the span has been uh, cartoonishly low. Uh, where's the whip? His whip has been well below one, like down in the uh, down in the point eight range, I believe. Uh, actually, doing the math, it's about point seven six. There we go. Um, but yeah, been so good. Um, not allowing uh, not allowing too many base runners. He's getting very deep into game. So I'm just gonna read off his inning his inning amount from each start off the game log. So it started again on May 11th in Arizona. So it goes seven. And his next outing eight, then nine, eight, seven, nine, seven and two thirds, eight, seven, nine, eight, seven. I think his uh, best outing. According to game score, it is his best outing. He had an 88 game score in his outing against the Angels on July 5th, which I watch. Eight innings, two hits, no runs, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. Practically just perfect. I mean, he's been going so far above and beyond what the um, what the Marlins could be asking from their ace. And I really hope he keeps it up. And the rest of the Marlins need to kind of get on his level. Like The offense needs to pick things up, and the rest of the uh, rotation... Well, they've been decent. There's definitely been some weak links like Trevor Rogers, and that bullpen is very, very shaky. So honestly, if I'm the Marlins here, I get galvanized by this um, by this amazing stretch by your ace, and I just say, okay, let's let's go for it. Let's try to um, support this guy. Let's make some trades. They have they have some young pitching that they could swap for some hitting. Like they, the Marlins have a surplus of young pitching prospects and depth so they're in a position where they could offer some interesting farm pieces without ruining their farm system and their future plans and get some current value in return in terms of offensive upgrades so yeah the marlins should really they have the ace pitcher that they've lacked since jose fernandez passed away they've um they have some pieces in the offense they got jazz they've got uh, Solaire, they've got Aguilar now, and Gary Cooper, and all these guys have been producing as well as they should have. Cooper and Jazz have been, but some of the other ones haven't. But you've got something here for the first time in a very long time where the Marlins could actually make some noise, capitalize on this, and try to just get some exciting September and October baseball back to Miami because we really have not seen that since 2003, and I don't count um, I don't count 2020 because that was just a weird year and. They made the playoffs, but in a normal year, they wouldn't have. Anyway, but yeah, Alcantara has been so fun to watch and such a good pitcher for the Marlins. All right. Now, the other um, fun story, if uh, the uh, I, I'm going to say the most shocking story of the year, you could have said that was the Tommy Pham slap incident, but I'm going to go for more of a positive shock here and uh, looking at how well the Baltimore Orioles have been doing recently. The Orioles are on a 10-game winning streak and are now 45 and 44. They are over 500, which is even more amazing when you think about the division that they play in. They're a game and a half behind Toronto as of tonight. Uh, Toronto just lost to Kansas State, so a game and a half behind Toronto for the last wild card spot. Well, I guess Toronto and Boston are tied, so game and a half behind those two. Holy crap! Where did this come from? Well, I mean, there's a there's a few things. 
Um, the offense has really gelled together. They finally have that young core has really uh, formed. Adley Rushman has not been the best hitter since he's come up, but he's uh, after a pretty bad start. He's actually been hitting f- fairly well. He has a 9-9 OPS plus on the year, over 43 games with four homers, uh, 14 doubles, and 13 RBIs. So, you know, the offensive numbers are solid. I'm going to pull up his game log here, actually, because I know he got off to a pretty deep, pretty uh pretty rough start at the plate but then since then things have been things have picked up all right looks like he kind of got hot here so if you take out his first 15 games where he only hit 143 in his past 28 games he's hitting 258 with an 861 ops all four of his home runs and 13 doubles so in 28 games he has 17 extra base hits so yeah he's really starting to make things happen at the plate and uh he just seems to bring so much energy to the like the field. He's always super excited when he's behind the mound. He loves just talking up his pitchers, and whenever they win, he goes up to shake Lopez's hand. He always looks so excited. Um, Mountcastle and uh, Mullins and Santander and Mancini and Hayes have all really gelled together. Some of them kind of been hot and cold at different points of the year. Like Hayes cooled off after a really solid May, but um. Mountcastle's been amazing recently, and Mullins, after slow stars, really rebounded. Honestly, if I'm the Orioles, I don't know if you trade Mancini. I think, now, you shouldn't buy at the deadline, but maybe don't sell off everything for more prospects. So keep what you have right now and just kind of let it ride out and just show like, okay, hey, we've got some stability here, and we've got a group of guys that are gelling together. Let's keep it going. So, yeah, that's what I think. If you look at the Orioles, their uh, turning point uh, again in um, June, they bottomed out at uh, 14 and 24 after a loss to the Yankees on the 18th. Then on the 19th, they walked off against the Yankees. And then, sent, so including that win, since that kind of rock bottom point of 14 and 24, they are uh, tw- uh, 31 and 20. So, playing about. Yeah, 97, 98 wins pace for a whole season. That's pretty, that's good. I mean, you can't, you can't sneeze that, sneeze at that. They have the eighth most runs of all the American League teams. So pretty average offense. They've got eighth home runs. Uh, The batting average is kind of low. So, but they're very opportunistic and definitely love that compared to where they were at the beginning of the year, they had a pretty bad offense. So the offense has definitely rebounded a little bit over this uh, stretch of recent success. Pitching, seventh in ERA. Um, not a lot of strikeouts, though. Uh, second to last in the American League in that number. But average pitching stuff in terms of preventing runs and average offense in terms of scoring runs leads to an okay baseball team. And Baltimore will definitely take an okay baseball team at this point. Like, the Orioles could have lost 100 more games and no one would have cared. But the fact that they're doing so well is really awesome. Jordan Lyles has been... Solid at eating innings for them. Tyler Wells and Spencer Watkins have looked both look good at times. Dean Kramer's been really good. And they're doing this without John Means. And then that bullpen man, Jorge Lopez, Dylan Tate, Felix Bautista, Siono Perez, and Keegan Aiken, and even Joey Kreeble are all do they all have ERAs below three. I mean, yeah, I I'm ecstatic. I'm thrilled with how well they're doing. So but what this means, this is throwing a real wrench into kind of uh, some deadline predictions because everyone was expecting, okay, Mancini and 
maybe like Jorge Lopez are probably gone. Um, if I'm the Orioles, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I would keep Mancini because of his veteran veteran leadership in the lineup and the fact that he's such a big locker room guy, a clubhouse guy. But I would not I would not say no if teams were looking for uh, bullpen help and they came to you. I mean, if you can flip a guy like uh, Perez or Tate or Lopez, because they're all having like career years and you don't know if they're going to be able to keep replicate that for much longer, get what you can for them right now. Cause, and I'm, I've always been a theory. Uh, I've always held this theory. Um, I read a bio or a biography or the story about how the Tampa Bay Rays front office revamped themselves and got the, turned the devil rays who were terrible into the rays who have been really good ever since. But the big thing that I learned from reading that book was that you should not spend money on your bullpen. Good relievers are pretty, are the easiest to um, replicate for cheap. So you can flip bullpen guys now at the deadline and bring up new guys who will probably do maybe not as good as this elite bullpen, how elite this bullpen has been, but they will be fine. So, I'd say, yeah, get get some get some value out of this bullpen while it's been so good, and then you can uh, easily grow that new talent to replace it. That's just my two cents. But I think a guy like Mancini is harder to replace, so especially given his uh, intangibles. I am a big intangibles guy. I, you know, I love the stats, and I'm a believer in the metrics and all that. But you can't ignore the intangibles; they're still very real. But anyway, enough about the. Um, Enough about the uh, Orioles. I think uh, now it's time to move on to another American League East bird team that has not been doing so well, and that's uh, that's the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, as you may have heard, fired their manager, Charlie Montoyo, even though they are currently sitting in a playoff spot. They were tied for the last wildcard spot with Boston, but definitely underperforming. Many teams have the Blue Jays pegged as a dark horse to win the American League pennant even to win the division was considered pretty likely, but then the Yankees kind of squashed that, but still definitely a force to be reckoned with. And they keep showing flashes and all the pieces are there. They just have been as a unit underperforming. Um, their offense is uh, fourth best in terms of run score in the American league, but the pitching is uh 10th or sixth worst. So not, um, not great on the pitching side. Now, Manoa and Gosman have been amazing, and Ross Stripling has stepped up really nicely. But Ryu is out for the year. Kikuchi has been pretty bad, and he is hurt now. And Barrios has been really ineffective, and he's been hit really hard at times. He has a 5.38 ERA, which is not what they were hoping for. And the bullpen outside, Jordan Romano and an aging David Phelps and a funky Adam Simber really is not that good. They do have Tim Meza and... He, he, he's pretty good, but there's a lot of question marks there. So the Blue, Blue Jays at the deadline, definitely if they want to, unless they believe that their current group just needs a fire line under them, at the deadline they should definitely be looking to acquire some bullpen and maybe some rotation help. I mean, the offense is fine. Kirk, Guerrero, Espinal, Guriel, Springer, and Hernandez have all been hitting really well. Bichette just... He's been kind of hot and cold this year, but he's been fine. Chapman, the offense isn't quite where you'd like it to be, but the defense is really good. Uh, they could use a more consistent DH maybe. 
I don't know if that's a Zach Collins or Kevin Biggio's the answer there, but yeah, um, they they wound up firing Montoyo. I feel like there was definitely something that happened though because they did extend Montoyo before the season, so he was going to be their manager through twenty twenty three, um, and then suddenly to sour on him in just half a season, I feel like there was there had to be some sort of fallout that happened between the manager and the front office. And maybe we'll learn more about that in the future as uh, players kind of get interviewed and give their piece about what happened. But this definitely doesn't seem like a very deserving fire, but firing, but I guess there was a reason for it. And I think that reason is not just, Oh, the blue Jay we're just unsatisfied with how the blue Jays have been doing. So we got to get rid of the manager. I do feel bad for Montoyo. I definitely, he was definitely a manager that I like. I, wasn't one of my favorites, but I did like him. And as I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm there are a lot of managers that I really don't like. So Montoyo to not be on that list does mean something. But yeah, so the Blue Jays will have to see what they can do. Um, hopefully they don't let down and uh, given all the expectation they had around them at the beginning of the year. All right. Um, so just looking at the standings, how they how things are right now, the. Yankees, Astros, and Twins are still winning the American League divisions. The uh, Dodgers, Mets, and Brewers are winning the NL divisions. And the wild cards, we've got Tampa Bay, Seattle, and then Boston and Toronto tied for the last spots. In the American League and the National League, the uh, we've got the Braves, the Padres, and the Cardinals with uh, San Francisco and Philadelphia both half a game behind St. Louis for the last spot. So how the playoffs would work given the new six-team format. Yankees and Astros get by in the American League. Twins play the, um, I'm not quite sure is the tiebreaker here, but they play Boston, Toronto, whoever that is. And then Tampa Bay and Seattle play each other. Ooh, that would be a fun series. Tampa Bay, Seattle. And Seattle finally gets back to the playoffs. In the National League, uh, Brewers and, you know, Dodgers and Mets get the buys. And the Brewers play the Cardinals. That's a fun one. Uh, division rival uh, playoff series, and then the Braves and Padres would play each other in the other series. Honestly, is looking at kind of trying to gauge who's still in the race. It's hard because I'm not used to the six team spot, and even though it like even though it doesn't even though, like the sixth place teams aren't that far behind the fifth place teams, it's still just weird having that extra spot because some teams are a lot closer to a playoff spot than I would expect even though they're just as bad if that makes sense so like an example this is like the rockies i would not expect the rockies to make the playoffs in a five team format or 14 format they would be pretty far away but with this format they're only six games out so they are definitely within reach do i think they're going to make it no they don't have any nearly enough pitching to sustain a playoff push but they're close on paper in the American League, the A's, Royals, Tigers, and Angels. Unfortunately, the, the Angels, you're just you're done. I'm. It's just been they've been playing such bad baseball since they started that giant losing streak. They've lost uh, three quarters of their games. That's just horrendous. And I'm just I've watched Angels games and it's just there's errors and misplays and base running miscues and not executing pitches and wild pitches and box and everything like this just such bad baseball it's just unwatchable 
And I'm sorry, but uh, I was listening to a John Boy's podcast, and he said, I'm not going to believe that the Angels are going to be good at this point ever again until they actually prove that they can be good. So I'm kind of taking the same approach. Like until they can actually figure out how to win, they can have Trout and Otani and whatever big name free agents they sign in the winter. But until they can prove that they can win, I'm not going to give them any favorable projections or anything because this team just doesn't know how to win. They don't know how to perform. And it's just, it's a mess. So those four teams in the American League are out of it. Texas is still in the race. They're definitely within reach. They've turned a few heads with how much they've improved this year. If I am them, I'm not looking to add the deadline though. Maybe Stan Pat, maybe eh, they don't really have a ton of amazing trade candidates because they have most of their big players are locked up in long-term contracts. So there's no one they're really itching to move. So maybe just Stan Pat and kind of just let the year play out. And you know, the on-field product is watchable enough, so no need to shake things up. And people do know that you're building for the future. So in a couple of years, then the idea is that you'll uh, you'll have a, a competitive team with uh, anchored by Simeon and Seager. Uh, the White Sox, they're on a three-game winning streak now. Maybe they're finally going to turn it around. I don't know. It's uh, still not been good in there. And honestly, Tony La Russa should have been fired a long time ago. Montoya was not the one that should be fired here. If you had to fire an AL manager right now, it has to be La Russa. Ozzie Guillen, and, you know, Ozzie Guillen isn't the most quotable person because, um, you know, he's Ozzie and he said some, he said some interesting things in the past, but he, he does, um, he does like pregame and postgame shows for the White Sox on, uh, uh, Comcast Sports, uh, Chicago, whatever, I, whatever the network is called. And he was talking about how in his uh, Aussie way of the broken English and all that, he was like, La Ru- Tony La Russa, I love you, man, but you are you sit in the dugout and look like you'd rather be somewhere else. And it's true. La Russa looks like he does not want to be there. It's becoming pretty apparent that the White Sox are not fun- fundamentally sound team. They make constant fielding miscues and base running blunders as evidence against that with that series against the twins uh, about a week back. But yeah, the players don't seem to be buying into the team. I feel like there's a lack of locker room chemistry there. And yeah, I, they've really got to figure things out. And if uh, their pitching staff has definitely been decimated by a few injuries and a lot of ineffectiveness. So if they have young capital, the young talent to spend, they should try to shore up that rotation and that bullpen because they both need it desperately because Giolito and Lynn have not been good. And, you know, it's sad because Cease, Kopech, and Johnny Cueto's come out of nowhere. Those three have been amazing. So if those were your back-end guys, you'd be all set. But the two guys you're expecting to carry the rotation, Lynn and uh, Giolito, have been terrible. So go figure. Guardians, uh, they're in the race. If I'm them, I don't know if I if I don't know if they can afford to trade to buy at the deadline. Um, they definitely aren't going to. They might sell. They might be sellers. They might be trying to build for the future here. I'm gonna do a video where I go more in depth into this, but just kind of gauging where we are right now. There's this season's definitely been not maybe a best case scenario, but a good case scenario. I mean, there's definitely a lot of situations where Cleveland would be terrible this year. 
but they've been 500. They've been a pesky team to play. Um, a little streaky at times, but they're performing well enough. Whether or not they keep things together, or they ship everyone off at the deadline, or not everyone, but a lot of people. Ramirez is staying, so that's good. Happy for him. Um, yeah, so those teams, uh, those are kind of the contending teams in the American League. And the National League, I feel like there's a lot more teams I can write off. Washington, Cincinnati, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Arizona. Yeah, I just don't see Colorado making the playoffs. They're close enough, but I just, yeah, I'm not seeing it. They just, they don't, like I said, they don't have the pitching and their lineup isn't good enough to overcome it. Uh, Miami, like I said, when I was talking about Alcantara, they, I think this is the time where they trade, you got to trade and buy at the deadline. Sacrifice a little bit of your pitching prospects. You have they have a surplus of it, so they can afford to go out and get some bats and maybe some bullpen help. Talk to the Orioles. Get some, get a uh, Lopez or Tater Perez over here, and uh, get that uh, bullpen anchored. So when Alcantara pitches eight shutout innings, the bullpen doesn't blow it. Philadelphia, they've uh, they're on a four game losing streak right now. They're in a little bit of a slide. Uh, losing Harper, as I said, really stinks. If they can just be treading water when he gets back from the IL that could that could turn them around and get them into the playoff spot so if I'm them I don't I definitely don't panic at the deadline I don't know you can try to add some yeah maybe Dombrowski's just gonna wow us and bring in a, a third baseman or another outfielder or an, another elite reliever the Phillies bullpen has rebounded quite a bit recently so um you could, um, they could just try to add to that and ensure that it stays locked tight. And then, yeah, just stay, stay trying water when Harper gets back and they have a chance to get back into the playoff race. San Fran, it's kind of interesting. I feel like the Magic's run a little bit, although they have been absolutely decimated by injuries. It's been, they've spent, their players have spent a ton of time on the IL. So, you know, um, they're close enough. They're only half game out, and they could definitely catch fire. And once some of their guys get back, they could um, they could start to kind of gel together and make make some noise in the NL West. That NL West could definitely get very tight down the stretch because the um, the Dodgers are showing that they're not quite in. Until a little bit ago, they were showing you know that the Padres can kind of keep up with them. Over the Dodgers are nine and one; they're past ten, whereas the Padres are only three and seven. So that's also giving Atlanta a chance to shoot past the Padres for the top wildcard spot. But yeah, man, that NL West is going to get really interesting. I'm glad the NL East is finally starting to live up to its potential because when it was just the Mets and every other team was uh, in a tailspin, that was kind of uh, embarrassing, especially since I picked them to be the that division to be the most competitive. My reasoning for that was that I didn't think the Nationals were going to be terrible. I thought they were going to be bad, but I was like, you know, like, Maybe they'll get to 70 wins, like maybe they'll or maybe they'll lose like 95 games, but not like this where they're on pace to lose like what 110 at this point. And yeah, that was the reason I picked that over the Aliens because I said Baltimore is going to be absolutely terrible. And lo and behold, Baltimore is in last place, but has a fight over 500 record. So go figure. Baseball's crazy. But yeah, um, so that's just kind of some, uh, a little bit of looking at who's on the outside looking in and what they can do to try to push forward. And later on, as we get closer to the deadline, actually not too close because I don't want to 
make this video after trades have happened, but I'm um, talking about like what teams are going to buy and sell at the deadline and what the buyers should be looking for, what they should be trying to add. So that'll be interesting. I'm going to, it's going to take a little bit for me to re research all that and get that all together, but uh, maybe I'll try to have that out either this weekend or next Tuesday. And hopefully with uh, no, no more college visits from college buddies coming up or unforeseen blackouts, the upload schedule should stay pretty normal, but we'll have to see. All right. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Straight Out Left. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple, and many other podcasting platforms. Just make sure you give it a five-star review or follow it or do whatever you got to do to make sure it shows up in your feed. With the trade deadline coming up very soon, as well as the All-Star Game, keep your ears peeled for another episode. I will talk to you all again soon.